I'm Dr. Fred Silva of Arcana Laboratories, coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas, with another installment of Throwback Thursday. The Early History of Glomerular Diseases As von Linne, Linnaeus says, quote, If you do not know the names of things, the knowledge of them is lost too. End of quote. Although all the way back to Eber's Papyrus and Hippocrates there was mention of kidney things, it was Bright in 1827 that described a variety of serious, not so uncommon, renal diseases, including glomerular diseases. As Heptonstall noted in his 1966 classic first edition, quote, There are many reasons for the confusion about renal, especially glomerular diseases chief among which are a paucity of information on etiologic factors and mechanisms responsible for the lesion, lack of adequate clinical pathologic correlations, lack of standardized terminology, ignorance of the early pathological changes, and inadequate data on the pathologic evolution of the early changes. Many different classifications of renal disease have appeared over the last hundred years, some based upon clinical findings, some based upon autopsy findings, and eventually some on the renal biopsy findings from living patients. Finally, after what seems like a long time in retrospect, did the clinician and the pathologist try to work out some rational concept, the first being Volhard and Farr in 1914. In a way, their work forms, as Heptonstall stated, the cornerstone of most of our notions on glomerulonephritis today. Volhard and Farr outlined various entities making up the general condition of renal diseases described by Richard Bright, also known as Bright's disease. Volhard and Farr clearly separated various forms of nephritis, distinguishing primary vascular disease from a group of degenerative diseases termed nephrosis. These degenerative diseases such as amyloidosis, mercuric chloride poisoning, and nephrosis were separated from nephritis because of the absence of any inflammatory change. Nephritis was classified from the clinical viewpoint as diffuse glomerulonephritis with obligatory hypertension, one of three stages evolutionary in nature, acute, chronic without renal insufficiency, and end-stage disease with renal insufficiency. Focal nephritis was divided into focal glomerulonephritis without hypertension, interstitial focal nephritis, and embolic focal nephritis. Regardless the tempo of disease, three non-recoverable chronic diseases were later recognized by Volhard. Number one, subacute, corresponding to extracapillary form with a rapid downhill course, now known as crescentic glomerulonephritis. Number two, subchronic, intracapillary, within the glomerular tuft, frequently with the nephrotic syndrome. Lipid changes occurred in the tubules, which could last several years. And three, a long course lasting two to three decades with contracted kidneys and death from renal failure. 
Farr, the pathologist, further subsetted diffuse glomerulonephritis into morphologic patterns. Number one, acute glomerulonephritis. Number two, subacute or subchronic glomerulonephritis, either intracapillary or extracapillary forms. And three, chronic glomerulonephritis occurring with several forms. Addis of Addis fame, counting the number of erythrocytes in the urine, thought that all cases of glomerulonephritis started with an acute stage, which may or may not be apparent, and his concept of evolution could be latent and healing, degenerative, or leading to death, or any combination of these. The next people on the scene was Longcope and Ellis. Longcope felt that his nephritic patients fell into two broad groups from the point of view of streptococcal infections and suddenness of onset. His type A, the largest group, had a sudden onset of renal disease separated by a latent interval from the acute infection by streptococcus. This usually led to recovery, but in other patients the disease seemed to go into a chronic phase with death from renal failure occurring. Type B had an insidious onset with no evidence of a preceding infection, but the patients had the various features of the nephrotic syndrome. The eventual outlook in type B was much worse than in type A. Ellis's, independent from Longcope's classification, is similar to Longcope's. Ellis divided glomerulonephritis into two types labeled type 1 and type 2. He did describe, in addition, a number of cases which he considered focal nephritis. Type 1 was characterized by a sudden abrupt onset with clinical features of hematuria, proteinuria, edema, and hypertension. These were, in most cases, preceded by an infection, most commonly a sore throat. Most were young, first two decades of life, and recovered. However, a few showed persistence of symptoms and deterioration of renal function and died within a few weeks or months, termed the rapidly progressive form. Some patients had a long course of asymptomatic proteinuria, hypertension, and renal failure. Ellis's type 2 onset was insidious, asymptomatic, but proteinuria and edema was severe and persistent and uniformly fatal over a period of months and years. Those with hypertension did worse. The similarities between these various concepts of glomerular diseases are very striking. Thus, in summary, there are renal diseases with a predominantly nephrotic picture, Longcope type B, Ellis type 2. The pathologic changes in acute type 1 are those still seen in acute glomerulonephritis. Rapidly progressive glomerulonephritis type 1 is now called crescentic or extracapillary glomerulonephritis. Eventually, of course, all of the renal compartments, glomeruli, tubules, interstitium, and vessels are affected. Other contributors included Jennings and Earl, Lonline, and many others. This was just the beginning. Pathologic, morphologic entities occupy about one half of the chapters in the textbooks of nephrology, and the renal biopsy continues to be of greater and greater importance in the management of patients with renal diseases. 
These were the forefathers of the classification. The name of a disease is a hook to which all that is known about that disease is attached. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes and Google Play stores. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.